Whew. And, and, and nearly never got up there. Just the praise. There's something. In his presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. It should be pleasurable to worship God. When you get into his presence, one of two things will happen to you. Like Isaiah or Peter, you might fall on the ground and say, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Or once you know that he has cleansed and forgiven you and all the words that we just sang there about our heart being healed and restored, when you get into his presence, there is fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore. You know, there's nothing worse than being bored in God's presence. Maybe you haven't actually experienced the presence if it brings... Do you know what, do you know what I think it is a sin to take the most interesting book in the world, the Bible, and the most powerful organization in the world, the church, and bore people with it. <laughs> I've heard a lot of boring sermons. I may even have delivered a few myself. <laughs> but I hope today that we can just get our hearts, our minds, our emotions, our wills focused that God has a plan for our lives. And his plan is a good plan. And he wants to do good things in your life this year. And so we are continuing our January message series called New Beginnings. Because we want in the month of January to begin anew. And to see God begin to do some things in our life. And today's message is called New Things. At least I think that's what it's called. It is New Things. Everybody shout new things. <clears throat> we talked about a new covenant. We talked about a new you and how God can make us new. But in our lives, God also wants to do new things. You know, January is a, is a time when very often people at the beginning of the year make New Year's resolutions. Now, New Year's resolutions is now a part of the secular culture. People, everybody makes New Year's resolutions. Nobody keeps them, you know, all that kind of stuff. But if you want to know the origin of this New Year resolution thing, it actually, it was Christians that started it. It actually goes back to the time of the Puritans where they thought the New Year is a fresh chance for us to come before God and say, all of the battles that I lost last year. I want to overcome them this year. All of the things that are in my life that I have been aware are not right, I want to put them right. And the origin of New Year's resolutions wasn't just you saying, I'm going to give up chocolate or whatever it was, but it was actually supposed to be you in prayer before God, resetting your priorities for that year and asking God to come and help you live up to them. And so here we are at the beginning of a new year, and let's face it, the last two years have been very much of a non-event, you know? I mean, if I asked you, what, what have you achieved over the last two years? you're probably going to tell me 
what shows you watched on Netflix or something like that because there was nothing else to do for two years, you know? And, um, and so it's been a strange couple of years. I feel like it's time for some new things in our lives, for some fresh starts and new beginnings. And I'm looking forward to some new blessings coming into my life. What about you? And you know, we have a promise in Scripture. It's in the book of Isaiah, and here's what it says. Let's have a look at this. God says this, remember not the former things. And if the former things are bad, then this is good news. Forget all the bad stuff in the past. But even if the former things were good, they are now in the past. They're now in the past. And so you can't live in the past. You have to live in the present. You learn from the past. You live in the present. You look to the future. That's a good three-point sermon. I should maybe preach this sometime. You learn from the past. It all begins with L. You learn from the past. You live in the present. And you look to the future, but many people live in the past because maybe something better was in the past. And God is saying, forget the former things. Uh, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a a new thing. This isn't just a new covenant. This isn't just a new you, but God can also do new things in your life. Behold, I am doing a new thing. And not I am going to do a new thing, but I am doing a new thing. God isn't I was, and he's not I am going to be. He is I am, right? He is always at work in the present moment. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? That's interesting. That tells me that God can be doing a new thing in my life or in your life, in our church, in your career, whatever it may be, in your family. God can be doing a new thing And we don't even see it. We are blind to it. We are not aware of it. We have been so conditioned with our lifestyle being one particular way. And we've been living in that for so long that our brain has created all these neural pathways in our mind, which makes it easy and lazy to just think the same way that we've always thought. (laughs) <laughs> to think the same way we've always thunk, uh, we've always thought, and, and we're stuck and we're trapped, and there can be a new thing springing forth, and we can't even see it. When I first came to this church, um, the, I felt God saying to me, think of the church as like a garden, and if, if you've, just, you've just bought the house that has the garden, and it's been winter time, and it's all covered in snow. You don't know what's under the snow, and you don't know what seeds are under the soil. And so I felt that God was saying to me, don't come in with a big bulldozer and digger and dig everything up and start making things the way you think they should be. Wait 
and see what springs forth. See what I have planted in that garden already. Just water the garden with encouragement and with the Word of God and with prayer and see what begins to spring up. And once you see what's springing up, you will know what I have planted in that garden and then you landscape around what is already springing up. We plan around what God is doing. We don't make our plans and then ask God to do something. We plan around what God is doing, but we have to perceive it. Behold, I do a new thing, says the Lord. Let's look at it again, that verse. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. When the, when the Israelites were leaving Egypt, they had two big barriers. The first barrier was the Red Sea. They couldn't cross the Red Sea, but God could part the, the sea, and he led them across. And once they crossed, they now had another huge barrier, the wilderness between the sea and the promised land. But God even supplied springs of water in the desert for them. You know, sometimes when God is doing a new thing, do you remember? Do you remember that story of the Exodus? Do you remember that when they were out traveling to the promised land, the people began to complain to Moses and said, I wish we were still slaves in Egypt. Can you imagine? I wish we were still slaves. I wish I was still getting my free universal basic income from the government and I didn't have to go and have a job. That was basically what they said, okay? And that ain't kingdom. In the kingdom, if a man shall not work, neither shall he eat. And in the kingdom, he who does not provide for his own family has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. I never wrote it, I'm just quoting it, okay? So they were, they were still in government slave mentality. I wish we could go back. At least Pharaoh gave us cucumbers and garlic, they said. And we're out here in the wilderness. But God had a better plan for them. God had new things. But what they saw with their mindset was a sea that was going to block them from crossing and then a desert that they were going to die in. But God can make a way where there seems to be no way. And he opened the sea, and that, and that blockage became then a pathway. And that barren desert became a place of provision. When you are trusting God, new things can happen that have never happened before. Never before in the history of the world have seas parted, but God can do a new thing, and he can change things in our life. Let me talk for, tell you a little story, first of all, about setting goals, about setting goals and believing God for new things. Um, there are two different types of new things that I want to talk about. And really what they are is they are two different ways of trusting God. There's two different ways of trusting God. And both of them, 
are biblical. Both of them are helpful for your life. But one of them is more important than the other. So I'm going to do the least important one first. And the least important one is this. By faith, trusting God, believing in his promises and claiming his promises, you can set goals, partner with God, and see those goals achieved in life. Okay? And so this kind of trusting God... This type of new things is when you take some time to prayerfully consider and think about your life and examine where you currently are in life and examine where you want to be in life and Set some goals to get from A to B. Set some goals to get from Egypt to the promised land. And find scripture verses that go along with them. And you're trusting God uh, for those new things. And then you gradually accomplish those goals. And if you do that, especially if you keep a journal and you're writing down when you prayed for something and you put the day and you're writing down scripture verses that have come across your path or other guidance that God has given you or unusual coincidences. And then you write down when you actually achieved that goal and you see how you and God were working together as partners. To quote the Apostle Paul, we are co-laborers together with God. And you and God working together on your goals as co-laborers, you see that you had to do some work and some effort, but you also see that God opened doors that you didn't know about and brought people into your life that you didn't know to help you accomplish those goals. And when you look back on your, on your life and you see that God has been partnering with you step by step to help you accomplish the dreams that you have in your heart to give you the desires of your heart. That really boosts your faith. It boosts your confidence that God is with you, not just when you feel his presence, but even when you don't, that he is working all things together for your good, and that the promises of, of Scripture are true, that if we ask anything according to his will, we receive it. And we can see in Scripture what his general will is for our life. And so it's easy for us to be able to set goals. God is not against you achieving goals. Just like your heart will warm when you see your children beginning to accomplish things that they couldn't accomplish before, I believe the heart of our Father God is filled with joy when he sees his children beginning to take steps of faith and trust them and try to achieve things that they never have before. God's not against you having new things in your life. Not even good new things. So for instance, let's say you need a car to get to work. The car that you currently have is ready to give up the ghost any minute, okay? It's unrepairable. It's just getting you there and no more. And, uh, and you need a car for a job. 
It is perfectly fine to begin to pray and believe that my God shall supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ. And hey, if you're going to believe God for a car, why not believe him for a nice one? You know, it's like, you've got to get your hair cut anyway. There's nothing spiritual about just getting an ugly haircut. Get a nice one. It doesn't make you more spiritual to have a, an ugly car. Get a nice car. Now, you also have to use wisdom and common sense. Like, don't spend all your money in a, a Lamborghini, and then you can't afford the insurance, and it's $1,000 for a tire or something like that, and you're like, oh my goodness, this is too much. So, you know, you use, you use wisdom, obviously, but there's not, God's happy with you having that new car. He will bring that new thing. Yeah, but that's materialism. Jesus said, don't worry about what food you're going to eat and what clothes you're going to wear because the unbelievers worry about all of these things and all of these things, things, and your heavenly Father knows you need these things. Behold, I do a new thing. He knows that you, your heavenly Father knows you need the things that the unbelievers worry about. And then Jesus tells us that not only will our heavenly father provide us with the things, but he'll provide us with nice things. He provides food for the birds, and even the flowers of the field are clothed better than the billionaire Solomon was. And then he says, how much more will your heavenly father not give you good things? So it is okay to set goals to Achieve things that you need in your life. God will partner with you and you can set those goals and you can pray and it will really, seeing, seeing those prayers answered and seeing the way God worked and seeing how, well, I didn't know that person and I, I didn't know about this situation and, and like, I, I could have done some of this on my own but I couldn't have done it all in my own. It was with God's partnership. It boosts your faith and your confidence in the promises of God. I want to tell you a story about this first kind of trusting God, which is prayerfully considering your life, where you are now, where you want to be, and setting some goals and then partnering with God prayerfully and in faith, following his leading to achieve those goals. But it's goals that you set for yourself. Okay, I'm going to tell you a story about that. When I was in my mid-30s, I think I was actually 35, and um, I suddenly became unbelievably discouraged. And the reason I did was because at that time, we had planted a new church, and I was serving the Lord, and this church was just not growing the way the previous church that I had been the pastor of grew. And I was, I was really struggling. And because I thought, oh my goodness, I'm 35 and my best days are already behind me. Is it all downhill from here now? 
And so I began to get quite discouraged about that, that I was leading this piddly little church. God bless them. The people love Jesus. I love them. He loved them. We were a community together. But there was a lot of people out there that didn't know Jesus that we wanted to reach for the kingdom, and it wasn't happening. But the previous one, you didn't even have to advertise. People were coming from everywhere. And so now I felt like, oh, God was with me and was blessing me. And I know he's with me now and he led us to this new venture, but I I just felt so discouraged. And there was another thing as well. All the pastors in our region used to meet together once, all the charismatic pastors used to meet together once a month and we would meet together, we would pray, sometimes we would organize to do something together. When I joined this group of pastors, it was about 10 years before that, I was like 25 or something. I was the youngest pastor in the group. And they all treated me like I was. I mean, it was really clear that they thought I was a daft kid that knew nothing. And, uh, and I, I, I could tell, I, I, I could feel sometimes the lack of respect from some of them. Now, that was one thing when I was 25, but sometimes when you start a relationship like that, it doesn't change. And 10 years later, I actually had more life experience than some of these guys who were older than me, but had lived boring lives. And at least my life had been interesting. So, um, and I would sit there and continue to feel like these guys did not treat me with respect or anything else like that. And so I had all of these things going on in my life that were bringing discouragement to me. And you know, when you get in your own head and the enemy gets in your head, has anyone ever had that? The old devil talking in your own brain cells? And so, I just felt discouraged. Maybe, maybe I've not got a message. Maybe I, I'm not anointed. Maybe nobody wants me. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I think I'll go and eat worms. That was what I felt like. And then in prayer one day, I realized I need to set some new goals for my life. And I set three goals and I said, Lord, I want these accomplished by 40, right? These three goals. Goal number one. I wanted to become a doctor of theology. Not because I wanted to put doctor in front of my name and be a big shot, not because of that, but because I wanted to know in my own heart when we were sitting in these pastors' meetings that I knew a heck of a lot more than the rest of them did, okay? (laughs) That was just for me. I wanted to know that I know what I'm talking about, okay? The second one, but by the way, I only had a bachelor's at the time, so to get a doctor's, I had to get a master's first. So there's two steps in that, right? My second goal was, I wanted to have a book published, not self-published. There's nothing wrong with self-publishing. I self-publish now. Uh, Most authors do, actually, but Anyone can self-publish. You could, have, you could write the most garbage book in human history and you could still pay to get it self-published. I wanted to know that somebody else who published books thought my book was worth publishing and I wanted them to come to me and ask me to write a book, right? 
then I would know that it wasn't just me that thought I had something worth saying, but that somebody else thought that too. And number three, at that point, the previous church I had pastored that had grown, it had grown to about 300 and something. And this one was like about 100 people or something like that. And so I had never at that point led a church of 400 people or more. And so I began to pray and say, Lord, I want to reach 400 people. I want to, I want to, I don't, I don't want to just be spoon feeding the same, but I want more and more people to know Jesus and Christians that are drifting out that I want them to come and find a place in the, in the house of God and plant their roots down and grow and flourish and become everything you want them to be. I'm praying for a church of 400. Now in my mind, I was thinking it was the church I was pastoring at that time was going to grow to 400, right? So I set those three goals. I prayed about them. I wrote them down in my journal. I didn't tell anyone about them except my wife. That was all. And God. And that was it. And then, this op- then I had the opportunity to do this master's um, in topics that I was really interested in. Healing and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I did a master's degree in that. And then unexpectedly, this opportunity to do a doctorate in theology came along as well. Exactly, the course exactly fitted my lifestyle and the fact I was ministering full time and blah, 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 all of that stuff. And it was perfect. And I began to work on that. Then I received an email about a year later from Harold Eberly, who leads the publishing company World Press Publishing. And he said to me, Martin, you know that teaching? Because he had a set of my cassette tapes in those days. He had a set of my cassette. He says, you know that teaching you do on eschatology? We would love to publish a book on the subject. Would you write a book on that subject? This message needs to get out, he said. And I said, well, nobody knows me. Nobody's heard of me, but they've heard of you. So why don't we write it together? So that was what we did. So that second goal got accomplished. So now I'm doing all this research and my knowledge and biblical and scriptural understanding is growing and I'm becoming more and more confident in what I'm teaching. Now I'm getting affirmation from somebody else that I've got something worth publishing here. And then one day, I'm driving down the road. I'm actually going to pick one of my sons up from kindergarten. And I drove, I remember driving down the road to go and get him. I can still remember it. As I was driving down this road, a strange feeling came over me. The only way I can describe it is, I suddenly felt like the pastor of 400 people. Not in real life I wasn't, but I felt like it. And I noticed when I went to church the next week, without even thinking about it, I I was behaving and talking as if there was 400 people there. It was like something changed inside of me. And then God led us to come here, and there was like hardly anybody in the room. (laughs) But very quickly, God began, I remember when we reached 200, and then I remember when we broke 400, 
And I remember seeing God move along. Now, I want to say that my motives were as important as my goals. And I'm saying this so that when you're setting goals, do so with the right motives. My motives were as important as my goals. My motives were not to get, I didn't want to be a famous author. I didn't want to strut about being called Dr. Trench. I didn't want all the other pastors to feel uh, inferior to me because my church was bigger than them. It was nothing to do with that. You don't want to be famous. I don't want to be famous. I don't want to walk about this. I hate it when I'm in the, the mall and I hear somebody shouting, Pastor Martin. I think, oh my goodness, I should put on a false beard and mustache and hear or something like that. I mean, just as well, I'm not like... Do, doing anything I shouldn't be doing, you know, because I'm being spotted everywhere. So I don't want to be famous. There was nothing. My motive was I wanted to know that I truly was doing what God wanted me to do, that I was using the gifts he has given me and the call that he has put on my life to its fullest potential so that I was fulfilling what I should be doing in my life. But, but, I didn't ask God to give me the goals. I set the three goals and asked God to partner with me to help me accomplish them. And they were accomplished. You have things that you want to see changed in your life. There are things in your life that are not good. They're negative. They're toxic. They're whatever. You want rid of them. There are things in your life that are missing from your life right now that you need them to be there. God can bring new things into your life. That is the first way that you can trust God. You can decide, I am currently here. I want to get there. It's going to take me four steps to get to where I want to get in life. I am going to set four goals for this year. I am going to write them down. I'm going to date it. I'm going to find scripture passages that apply to it. If it's the new car that you need, my God shall supply all your needs. Okay, there's one. And you write it down, whatever it may be. You write the promises down. You pray. You ask God to work with you, to bring this to come to pass, to lead and to guide you. You believe it, you receive it, and you start to live it. That is one way that you can trust God and see God do new things in your life. But there's a second way. And the second way is this, and this is even more important. While you're making up a plan for your life, bear in mind that God may have a different plan for your life. And actually, maybe his plan's better than yours. Maybe your plan is to stay in Egypt as a slave, eating cucumbers and garlic. But God's plan is for you to dwell in the promised land with a house of your own, with a vineyard, with a field, with a fatted calf and a couple of goats. Maybe that's the life God's got for you. But all you can think about is the journey and how intimidating the journey is. Maybe you could never make up this plan for your life because these thoughts have never entered your mind. And so the plan that you could make up could be inferior. Let me ask you a question. 
Are you omnipresent? Are you present everywhere? It's not a trick question, it's simple. Are you omnipresent? No. Are you omnipotent? Are you all-powerful? No. Are you omniscient? Do you know everything? No, you don't. So any plans that you come up for in your life are going to be based by what you know, where you are, and how you're going to do it. But God is omnipresent. You might think this is your dream job, but God's presence is not only in that office building, God's presence is in this building too. He's omnipresent and he knows that you would be better there. You're praying for promotion here and he's actually trying to get you out of there. Maybe God's plan is something you could never accomplish, but it will take the omnipotent God to do it. Maybe your plans are based on your limited knowledge, but the omniscient God who knows all things knows things that you don't know. Look at this next passage of scripture. It says here, the Lord replied, look and be amazed. You will be astounded at what I am about to do. For I am going to do something in your own lifetime that you will have to see to believe. Do you think it's possible that no matter how much you think your plans for your life are great, there could be something even greater that God's got for you? Something astounding? Something that will amaze you? Maybe you're resisting it right now and it's for your good. Let's look at the next verse. It says here in Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Yeah, yeah, plans to wander through the wilderness. No, no, you're too short-sighted. It's a promised land I'm taking you. It's plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. God has got plans for you. They're good plans. They're better plans than you could come up with for yourself. They are plans that won't cause despair to come into your heart, but they will cause hope to rise in your heart. They're plans that won't leave you trapped in the rut that you're currently in, but there's a future for you. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So it's okay to have things, but never let things have your heart. Remember Jesus said, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But you remember the next verse? But seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things 
shall be added to you. Don't seek the things. Say, I want God's kind. I want God to rule in my life. I want God's will in my life and his righteousness. I want to be in a right relationship with God and know Jesus as my Lord, know the Holy Spirit leading and guiding me. And if I do that, then all the things will be added to me. He says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Do I have more of this one? What's the next slide? It's just that. Okay, so I want to quickly tell you a second story about the second way that you trust God. I told you about the three goals that I set, why I set them, how I was feeling at the time, what my motives were for setting them, how God unexpectedly brought circumstances around that enabled me to accomplish them. But in my mind, I was going to be staying with the congregation that I was with at the time and that they would grow and be blessed by all the stuff that was going on. Then God began to speak to us and say, I, it was like God, as if God was saying, I've got some thoughts in my mind that you don't know about yet. They're different than the thoughts that you've got in your mind. You've got these thoughts in your mind, but I've got different thoughts in my mind. And I want to start telling you my thoughts. So God began to speak to us in dreams and prophecies, scripture verses, people coming across our path, saying things, and all of that, until it became clear that God was calling us to come to Gateway. We could not imagine what that life was going to be like we had only ever been in Edmonton for a long weekend in the Holiday Inn on 170th with a big truck factory across the road in November when the grass is all brown and dead and everything was discouraging. That was all we knew. We didn't know where we were going to live. We didn't know if what the cost of living was here and whether we would have enough to look after our family. We didn't know uh, whether we were going to get paperwork. We didn't know anything. We felt God was calling us to do something we couldn't even imagine. And it was scary. And we didn't really want to do it. I remember when we were here for the long weekend, we arrived in Edmonton. You know what it's like on aeroplanes with germs going, I mean, they claim they've got all these filters, but you always get flu or something like that. We arrived in Edmonton. Christine got the flu the first day, felt rotten the whole time we were here. Um, I was like, oh my goodness, is it always this cold? And they're like, you ain't seen nothing yet, believe me. And <laughs> But because we felt it was of God, because we were convinced God was leading us, we took a step of faith without even knowing what was going to happen. We took a step of faith. Going with God's plan, which was different than the plan we had for ourselves, and we took a step of faith. Look at this next passage. Seek the Lord while he may be found. 
Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. Listen, if you feel like you've drifted in your relationship with God, the best new thing that you can have in your life today is return to the Lord. Get back connected with God and with his word and with his church and his people. Return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, and he will abundantly pardon. Now look at this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts and God's ways are higher than our ways. I want you to imagine there's a fence here and you're just a little kid and there's a, a hole in the fence, a knot in the wood and you're able to look through the fence and you can see things on the other side. But imagine God as your tall elder brother who's able to look over the fence and not only see everything you see, but also see everything you cannot see and be giving you advice about whether it is safe or dangerous for us to go over the fence. That's what it's like. Our thoughts are like a tiny little thing. God can see over the fence. He can see into your future. Every day of your life was written down in his book before the first one had even begun, it says in the book of Psalms. He sees the end from the beginning. Look, uh, they're so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Let's go on. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be. You need a word from God. Not only goals that you're setting by faith, but a word from God about what he wants to do in your life. Look, it shall accomplish that which I purpose and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. What's next? For you shall go out with joy. Listen. I know this is a bit I've got a plan for my life and I've got all these goals and I'm praying and I'm trusting God and he's helping me out and it's great and it's encouraging. But now the word of the Lord has come from for, to me. Now I feel that God is saying to me, this, I've got some new things to do in your life. Maybe I've got a new career. Maybe there's something different that I'm wanting you to do. And it's come out the blue and it's taken you by surprise. And you're a little bit nervous about it. Should I take the step of faith? Should I leave the familiar and enter into the unfamiliar? See, when you trust in God, there's nothing to fear. Do you know what happens? You get joy and you get peace. You shall go out with joy and you will be led forth with peace and the mountains and the hills will break forth into singing. All the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. This will be a sign that will last forever. A reminder of what I, the Lord, has done. 
So in conclusion, let's all stand. In conclusion, two things, new things, but two new things. I want to, I, I am challenging you, okay? I am double dog daring you, <laughs> right? To trust God in two ways this year. The first way is, Look around your life at what needs to change. Set some goals, claim some promises, pray some prayers, partner with God and begin to see you and God working together, co-laborers together, bringing about the promises of God in your life. And number two, ask God if he has some plan for your life that's way beyond what you could imagine, that's totally different than you've dreamed up. And if he does, ask him to reveal it to you in some way, to make it clear to you in some way that this is the direction you have to go in and then take a step of faith. Even if you don't know what's on the other side of the fence, trust in the God who does. And I believe that if you will trust God in both of those ways, this year, you will go out with joy. You will be led forth with peace. All of the circumstances in your life, the mountains and the hills and the trees and the rivers, everything is going to be vibrant and alive and rejoicing because you are in the place of blessing that you're supposed to be. Come on, church, let's lift our hands up to God. And let's say together, right here and right now, I declare, I will put my trust in God and His promises and His guidance this year. Take my life, Lord. You are the potter. I am the clay. Mold me. Make me into the person you want me to be and fill me with the blessings you have for me this year. I believe it. I receive it. And in the name of Jesus, I will achieve it. And all God's people shouted, Amen. Amen.